Chapter Seven of the Old Coast Road from Boston to Plymouth by Agnes Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter Seven: The Situate Shore. Situate is different, different from Cohasset with its superbly bold coast and its fashionable folk, different from Hingham with its air of settled inland dignity. Situate has a quaintness, a casualness, the indescribable air of a land's end spot the fine houses in situate are refreshingly free from pretension the winds that have twisted the trees into rackham like grotesques have blown away falsity and formality situate life has always been along the shore it is from the shore that coot shooting used to furnish a livelihood to many a situate man and still lures the huntsmen in the fine fall weather it is the peculiar formation of the shore which has developed a small clinker built boat and made the town famous for day fishing it is along the shore that the unique and picturesque mossing industry is still carried on and along the shore that the well-known colony of literary folk have settled situate's history is really a fishing history for as early as sixteen thirty three a fishing station was established here and in course of time the north river winding twenty miles through green meadows to the sea was once the scene of more shipbuilding than any other river in new england there is nothing more indicative of the yankees shrewd practicality than the early settlers instant appreciation of the financial and economic potentialities of the fishing trade the spaniard sought for gold in the new country or contented himself with the fluctuating fur trade with its demoralizing slack seasons but the new englander promptly applied himself to the mundane pursuit of cod and mackerel everybody fished as john smith in his description of new england says young boys and girls salvages or any other be they never such idlers may turn carry and return fish without shame or either great pain he is very idle that is past twelve years of age and cannot do so much and she is very old that cannot spin a thread to catch them it began when squanto the indian showed the amazed colonists how he could tread the eels out of the mud with his feet and catch them with his hands this was convenient to be sure but the colonists did not long content themselves with such primitive methods they sent to england for cod hooks and lines mackerel hooks and lines herring nets and signs shark hooks bass nets squid lines and eel pots and in a short time they had established a trade which meant more money than the gold mines of guiana or potosi the modern financier who makes a fortune from the invention of a collar button or the sale of countless penny packages of gum is the lineal descendant of that first thrifty new englander who did not scorn the humble cod because it was cheap and plentiful you remember how these same cod pestered the ships of gosnold in sixteen o two but set to work with the quiet initiative which has distinguished new englanders ever since first to catch then to barter and finally to sell his wares to all the world for cheap as all fish was two pence for a twelve-pound cod salmon less than a penny a pound and shad when it was finally considered fit to eat at all at two fish for a penny yet when all the world is ready to buy and the supply is inexhaustible tremendous profits are possible the many fast days of the roman catholic church abroad opened an immense demand and in a short time quantities of various kinds of fish jocelyn in sixteen seventy two enumerates over two hundred caught in new england waters were dried and salted and sent to england this constant and steadily increasing trade radically affected the whole economic structure and history of new england for two centuries ships and all the shipyard industries the farm on which fish was used not only as a medium of exchange but also as a valuable fertilizer 
the home where the many operations of curing and salting were carried on all of those were developed directly by the growth of this particular trade laws were made and continually revised regarding the fisheries and safeguarding their rights in every conceivable fashion ship carpenters were exempt from military service and many special exemptions were extended to fishermen under the general statutes the oyster is now a dish for the epicure and the lobster for the millionaire but in the old days when oysters a foot long were not uncommon and lobsters sometimes grew to six feet everyone had all he wanted and sometimes more than he wanted of these delicacies the stranger in new england may notice how certain customs still prevail such as the friday night fish dinner and the sunday morning fish cakes and also that new englanders as a whole have a rather fastidious taste in regard to the preparation of both salt and freshwater products the food of any region is characteristic of that region and to travel along the old coast road and not partake of one of the delicious fish dinners is as absurd as it would be to omit rice from a menu in china or roast beef from an english dinner while the fishing trade was highly important in all the south shore towns yet it was especially so in situate in seventeen seventy more than thirty vessels principally for mackerel were fitted out in this one village and these vessels not infrequently took a thousand barrels in a season in winter they were used for southern coasting carrying lumber and fish and returning with grain and flour the reason why fishing was so persistently and exclusively followed in this particular spot is not hard to seek the sea yielded a far more profitable and ready crop than the land and besides had a jealous way of nibbling away at the land wherever it could it is estimated that it wastes away from twelve to fourteen inches of fourth cliff every year but in spite of the sea's readily accessible crop it was natural that the men of kent who settled the town should demand some portion of dry land as well these men of kent were not mermen able to live in and on the water indefinitely but decidedly gallant fellows rather more courtly than their neighbors and more polished than the race which succeeded them gilson vassal hatherley cudworth tilden hoare foster steadman and hinckley had all been accustomed to the elegancies of life in england as their names testify the first land they used was on the cliffs for it had already been improved by indian planting then the salt marshes covered with a natural crop of grass and then the mellow intervales near the river when the sea was forced to the regretful realization that she could not monopolize the entire attention of her fellows she was persuaded to yield up some very excellent fertilizer in the way of seaweed but she still nags away at the cliffs and shore and proclaims with every flaunting wave and ripple that it is the water not the land which makes situate what it is and after all the sea is right it is along the shore that one sees situate most truly here the characteristic industry of mossing is still carried on in primitive fashion the mossers work from dories gathering with long-handled rakes the seaweed from the rocks and ledges along the shore they bring it in a heavy dark inert mass all sleek and dripping and spread it out to dry in the sun as it lies there neatly arranged on beds of smoothest pebbles the sun bleaches it one can easily differentiate the different days haul for the moss which is just spread out is almost black and that of yesterday is a dark purple it shimmers from purple into lavender the lavender into something like rose and by the time of the final washing and bleaching it lies in fine light white crinkles almost like wool it is a pretty sight and the neatness and dispatch of the mossers make the odd sea flower gardens attractive patches on the beach sometimes a family working together will make as much as a thousand dollars in a season gathering and preparing the moss one wonders if all the people in the world could eat enough blanc mange to consume this salty product and is relieved to be reminded that the moss is also used for brewing and dyeing 
it is really a pity to see situate only from a motor there is real atmosphere to the place which is worth breathing but it takes more time to breathe in an atmosphere than merely to take the air should you decide to ramble about the ancient town you will surely find your way to situate point the old stone lighthouse over a century old is no longer used and the oil lantern hung nightly out at the end of the romantic promontory seems a return to the days of long ago you will also see the place where in the stirring revolutionary days little abigail and rebecca bates with fife and drum marched up and down close to the shore and yet hidden from sight playing so furiously that their martial music and other noises scared away the enemy and saved the town from invasion you will go to second cliff where there are summer homes of many literary people and you will pass through egypt catching what glimpse you can of the stables and offices paddocks and cottages of the immense estate of dreamwald and of course you will have pointed out to you the birthplace of samuel woodworth whose sole claim to remembrance is his poem of the old oaken bucket the well sweep is still where he saw it when as editor of the new york mirror it suddenly flashed before his reminiscent vision but the old oaken bucket itself has been removed to a museum after you have done all these things you will if you are wise forsake situate harbor which is the old section and situate beach which is the newer summer section and find the way to the burial ground which after the one in plymouth is the oldest in the state possibly there will be others at the burial ground for ancestor worshippers are not confined to china and every year there springs up a new crop of genealogists to kneel before the moss-grown headstones and with truly admirable patience decipher names and dates half obliterated by the finger of time one does not wonder that their descendants are so eager to trace their connection back to those men of kent whose sturdy title rings so bravely down the centuries to be sure what is left to trace is very slight in most cases and quite without any savor of personality too often it is merely brief and dry recital of dates and number of progeny and names of the same few have left anything so quaint as the words of walter briggs who settled there in sixteen fifty one and from whom briggs harbor was named his will contains this thoughtful provision for my wife frances one-third of my estate during her life also a gentle horse or mare and jemmy the negger shall catch it for her the good people who came later sixteen thirty four from plymouth and boston and took up their difficult colonial life under the pastorate of mr lathrop seem to have done their best to make satuit as it was first called from the indians meaning cold brook conform as nearly as possible to the other pioneer settlements even to the point of discovering witches here but religion and fasting were not able to accomplish what the ubiquitous summer influx has happily also failed to effect situate remains different perhaps it was those men of kent who gave it its indestructibly romantic bias perhaps it is the jealousy of the ever encroaching sea the gray geese flying over the iridescent moss gleaming upon the pebbled beaches the solitary lantern on the point are all parts of that differentness and those who love her best are glad that it is so End of chapter 7